Good morning, Rock Harbor. You guys can be seated. Good morning to those of you watching via live stream. Glad that you've joined us. Let's open in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come into your house today and we thank you so very much for the opportunity to worship you. To proclaim your name, to lift you up. Grateful, Lord, that we can fellowship with one another and hear your word. And as we go into your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see. Because we need to see everything you want to reveal to us. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear the voice of our shepherd speaking to us, encouraging us, comforting us, and challenging us. So we give this time to you, Lord. We ask your blessing in it. And we lift all these things and ask them in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen. Well, let me ask you, have you ever heard the story of the customs officer and the smuggler? It goes something like this. A customs officer observes a truck pulling up to the border. Suspicious, he orders the driver out and searches the vehicle. He pulls off panels and bumpers and wheel cases, but finds not a single scrap of contraband. Whereupon, still suspicious, but at a loss to know where else to search, he waves the driver through. The next week, the same driver arrives. Again, the official searches and finds nothing illicit, and he waves him through. Over the years, the official tries full body searches, x-rays, sonar, anything he can think of, and each week the same man drives up, but no mysterious cargo ever appears, and each time, reluctantly, the custom man waves the driver on. Well, finally, after many years, the officer is about to retire. The driver pulls up once again. He says, I know you're a smuggler. Don't bother denying it, but I'll be if I can't figure out what you've been smuggling all these years. Look, I'm leaving now, and I'm retiring, and I swear I can do you no harm. Won't you please tell me what you've been smuggling? Driver looks at him, and he says, trucks. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's very easy to miss the obvious. We can get to places in our lives where we get so busy and caught up in other things that the obvious things just pass us right by. Can't begin to tell you how many times as a pastor I have sat with people, whether it be in a hospital room or my office or whatever the case may be, and they find themselves in a spot of trouble, maybe they're going through some health difficulties, whatever the case may be, and they begin to reflect on their lives, and they realize certain areas in which they've kind of missed the obvious things, the most important things. Things like family, your marriage, the things that, you know, you, you just, time passes you by. And perhaps one of the most obvious things that just misses them is love. It's love. The importance and priority of love. And it's that that I want to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 12. And we're going to be picking up in verse 28. So Mark 12, and we're going to be reading verses 28 through 34. So let's read this together. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Now, put your finger right there, just to kind of bring you up to speed on what's going on here in chapter 12 of Mark. Jesus has been debating the religious leaders. If you read the verses beforehand, you'll see that Jesus has been 
debating or arguing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's been happening is that these religious leaders have been coming to Jesus, challenging him, confronting him, all in attempt to try and get him to slip up in what he is saying. They, they want him basically to say something that runs afoul of the law, afoul of God's word, their traditions, or even afoul of the Roman officials. Therefore, they would have a place to accuse Jesus. And in every case, Jesus turns it around and just brings it back on them. And in the verses before this, Jesus was arguing with the Sadducees about the resurrection. And once again, Jesus refuted them. And this young teacher of the law is kind of standing back watching all this take place. And that's where we pick up here. So once again, in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the Shema. You will find it in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And so we see Jesus debating many of the religious leaders. They're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to catch him in his words. And in every case, he uh, turns the tables on them. And this religious leader, this teacher of the law, this scribe, sees what Jesus is doing and how he has refuted these religious leaders. And he wants to ask them, he asks Jesus his own question. Now, I don't know the motives of this religious leader. Maybe his motives are good. Maybe he has this question burning a hole in his pocket and he really wants to know. Or maybe he too wants to trip Jesus up. I don't know. I think it's more the former rather than the latter. But the point being is this. Is that he sees an opportunity to ask Jesus this question. A question that for him is very important. And I would agree, a very important question. And he says, look, of all the commandments in the law, which is the most important? And Jesus gives him the answer. Look, the most important is this. You know, it's interesting to note that rabbinic scholars over the years had gone through the Old Testament law and come up with 613 commandments. 613. Of the 613 commandments, 248 of those were positive commands. A positive command is a command, you shall do this. All right. So in the Ten Commandments, we see you shall honor your father and mother. That's a positive command. 365 of those 613 commandments were negative commands. Those are the commands, you shall do this not. All right? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. One, again, one of the Ten Commandments. And so they had basically distilled it down to this, and they would argue endlessly about which ones were most important. So rabbinic scholars would go back and forth, and there were actually some rabbinic scholars that kind of took the position, you know what, they're all equal in importance. All of them. 
But the majority of scholars would say, no, no, that doesn't make any sense. So what they would do is they would argue endlessly about which one was most important, which one was a weightier aspect of the law, and which was less important, which one was a less weighty aspect of the law. And they would debate about this. But what Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't get drawn into that kind of hierarchy. Rather, what he does is something that is most profound and important. He goes much deeper into the foundational aspect of the law. In other words, what Jesus does this is that Jesus reveals to us or gives us the foundational premise on which the law and its commands are built upon. What is that foundation on which they all stand? And that foundation is what? It is love. Love of God, love of your neighbor. This is what Jesus says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's really a way of saying with love God with everything you've got. Everything. Emotional, physical, mental, it doesn't matter. Whatever you've got, love God with it. All right? The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so Jesus reveals to us the very foundational premise on which the whole law is built. And in Jesus' answer to this teacher, he reveals a few things. So let's go through those. First, Jesus reveals the priority of love in relation to the law. He reveals the priority of love in relation to the law. Did you know that love is not the antithesis of law, but of legalism? You know, sometimes what people try and do is they try and pit love against the law. And they try and pit them as two separate things. You know, the law was the Old Testament, love is the New Testament. No, no, you have to realize that God's law is a law of love. It's a law of love. It, God's law reveals a number of things. First, it reveals his holiness, our unholiness, and our need for him. The law is meant to, to draw us like a tutor unto Christ in our need for him. But it also reveals how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. And we do it with an attitude of love. We put God first above everything, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so the priority of love in relation to the law reveals how love shapes our actions in harmony with God's word. Let's read what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, Paul writes this in verses 8 through 10. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And so what we see here is that love is that foundation on which the law is built. In our obedience to God, we do it out of love. Not because we're earning anything with God. Like I said, love is the antithesis, not of law, but of legalism. And so we don't earn anything with God by keeping his commands. No, we love God by keeping his commands. 
And that is the difference. And so Jesus reveals here the priority of love in relation to the law. The second thing that Jesus reveals is the priority of loving God first. The priority of loving God first. You know, I've often said that in the end, you play to an audience of one. You play to an audience of one. Who is that one? It is God. Because it is God more than anything else that you need to seek to please. Generally speaking, I'm not a big people pleaser. But I do want to be a big God pleaser. It's that sense that we play to an audience of one. And so Jesus reveals here the priority of loving God first. Everything in our lives stems from our relationship with God. Everything. And so if God is not priority, if God is not first, then everything else is going to be kind of off kilter. It's not going to, it's just going to be a little off. You know, I liken it to making Ikea furniture. Does anybody know what Ikea furniture is? All right. I haven't found any Ikeas up here in the Central Coast, but, but there's plenty down south. And so whenever you need just good, cheap, modern furniture, you go to Ikea. As a matter of fact, I built my whole office in Ikea furniture. It was cheap. It's not going to last long, but it's cheap. And I remember once I needed like a, a cabinet, you know, a cabinet that I could put files in and stuff like that. So I went to Ikea. You know, you go and you wander around the store. Oh, that's what I need. You write down the number. And then you go downstairs to the warehouse part where they keep all the boxes. And you find the box you need, and hopefully it's there. And it's there. You grab it. It's 500 pounds. You wrench it onto the, you know, to the cart. You take it. You pay for it. You bring it home. And you open it up. And there's 5,000 pieces all over your floor. And you look at this instruction book. And it's like 10 pages long. You're flipping through it. Yeah, I'm a reasonable adult. I can do this. So you throw it behind you. And you start putting it together, and about an hour into it, you go like this. Something doesn't look right. It doesn't seem to work. I can't figure it out. And so you find that book. Where did I put that book? You find it, you look, and you look on the first page, and you go, oh, yeah, I see. Oh, okay. And you undo everything you just did, and that's two hours of your life you're never going to get back. It's like that. If you don't start at the very beginning with God... Everything else is not going to work. We have to put God first above everything. We start with him. You love God first, and when you love God first, then everything else from that flows in his spirit. We put him first. And so Jesus reveals the priority of love in relation to the law, and he reveals the priority of loving God first. If he's not first... Um, then everything else will suffer and be off-center. And then third, Jesus reveals the priority of loving others. He reveals to us the priority of loving others. Look, loving others means that we put their needs ahead of our own. You know, the world talks about love in this very kind of abstract way. The world's idea of love, I, I find it to be very kind of just off. Because it's, it, it involves all of this emotion, which, by the way, is very important with love. I, what I don't want to do is be overly reductionistic because love encompasses all of our being. But it, it's not always very grounded in anything that is stable or solid or objective. And so, therefore, sometimes our idea of love is really kind of built about whatever we feel like doing. But the truth is, 
Love goes beyond that because love finds itself in the willingness to sacrifice for the sake of others. To put others ahead of yourself. Notice what Jesus says here in John chapter 15. In John 15, verses 12 through 14, Jesus says this. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And by the way, who was the one who went, didn't just say to lay down one's life for one's friends, but did it? Jesus. It's kind of the whole point in this. He says, no longer do I call you, um, you know, students. I, I, I call you friends. Why? Because I've revealed everything to you. Everything have I revealed to you, and I call you friends, and greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love finds itself in the willingness to sacrifice for others, to put others ahead of ourselves, to, to put them first, even if you don't feel like it. I can't even begin to tell you how many times, you know, you, as a parent, you, you put your kids first, you put others first. And there are times, trust me, I don't feel like it. I, I don't feel like writing this check to my kid's school. It just, just, just ain't feeling. I ain't feeling this. But you do it. You do it. Because you know ultimately what comes as a read on. You know that love is that willingness to put others first. And so we don't just see here the priority of love. Jesus doesn't just show us what the, <clears throat> the priority of love. He also shows us the practice of love. The practice of love. Look, I'll be the first to admit that love is not the easy thing to do. It's not. It is not easy for us to put others first. Putting others first, putting others' interests ahead of our own, does not come naturally or easily to broken, sinful human beings. It does not come naturally, and it does not come easily. I will say this. It comes when we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives. We must have, we must invite the Spirit into our lives because love is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, now, some, have, some scholars have said that love is that primary, that primary fruit and everything else stems from love. Or love is just one of the fruits. I don't know. Either way, it really doesn't matter. What I do know is that love is listed first. It's that primary fruit that we must be willing to demonstrate by allowing the Spirit to work through and in and through our lives. And so love does not come easily. It does not come naturally, but it is essential. And if we're to reflect the character of Christ and be found in Christ, then love must be that primary characteristic that dominates. I'm going to go back to Mark chapter 12 and look, notice what Jesus says here. What's interesting is after Jesus says this, when he gives this teacher, this scribe the answer, notice what the scribe says to him. He says, well said teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. 
To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This teacher is on the right track. He knows that just a, a slavish external obedience to the law does not replace the necessity of love for God. That whatever obedience we offer must be born out of love and not the other way around. This young man clearly gets it. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, I always found that very interesting. You are not far from the kingdom of God. So this man is on the right track. He's close, but he's not quite there. How was he not quite there? Well, there's a couple of things I see in this. First, there's no indication here that this teacher of the law has believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah that he is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, that he is the Messiah and Savior, and he's put his faith in him. There's no indication of that. So in that sense, this teacher of the law is not quite there yet. He's on the right track in understanding the importance and priority of love, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But it doesn't indicate that he has believed in Jesus as the Messiah, so he's not quite there. But it also indicates something else that while this young man is saying the right words, saying the right words and doing the right words are two completely very different things. We can say all the right things, but if we don't act upon them, they avail us not. And so what's clear is that if we as God's people are to reflect the character of Christ, then we must act in obedience to him. In obedience to him. Look, the practice of love requires a couple of things. A couple of things. First, it requires a connection to Christ. A connection to Christ. Notice what Jesus says again in John chapter 15. And I'm in verse 1 this time. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what is this fruit we are to bear? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love. We must be connected to Christ if we are to bear this fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can make efforts at it, but we must be connected to him. Just as the grape cannot in any way produce, the grapevine cannot produce any grapes unless it's attached to the branch, right? Unless it's drawing nourishment from that source. You cut it off and it no longer can bear fruit. The same way if we cut Christ off in our life, we just listen to him and don't act upon them, we cut off that ability to bear that fruit. So we must be connected to him. We must have a connection to Christ. The practice of love also requires an obedience to Christ, an obedience to Christ. Again, John chapter 15, this time in verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So the practice of love requires first a connection to Christ, but it also requires an obedience to Christ. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. You know, I remember years ago reading um, a sermon by, I was in seminary, and, and I had to read sermons by other uh, preachers, and one of the assignments I had was to read some of the sermons from Dr., um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and uh, the sermon, one of the sermons he preached about three weeks before he was assassinated, he was standing at the pulpit, and he was talking about how he wanted to be remembered said, how do I want to be remembered? said, I don't want to be remembered for any of the awards I've won or any of the accolades I've received. I just want to be remembered for this, that I loved, that I loved, that I loved somebody, that I loved God. That's how he wanted to be remembered. How do we want the world to perceive us? Do they, want, do they recognize us for our love? <clears throat> our love of God, and our love of neighbor? Look, it has been said that love is a verb best seen in action. That when we love others, people recognize that work that is happening within us, and the Spirit is able to work in that situation. I want to end today by reading a story from Terry Muck. Terry Muck is a a biblical scholar and a commentator and in the March 29th entry of Men in Integrity, this is back in 2009, he tells the story of a letter he had received. He'd received a letter from a man who had a neighbor. This man and his neighbor uh, were very friendly toward one another. Now, the man who wrote the letter um, <clears throat> was at one time not a Christian. And so he was telling the story about how he, when he was not a Christian, had a Christian neighbor. And this man and this Christian neighbor would talk, you know, they would talk over the fence. They would borrow each other's tools, lawnmowers, you know, yard work equipment. They would have barbecues together. They were just very neighborly and friendly with one another. But what happened was that this man's wife got sick and she died suddenly. And this is in the part of the letter in which I want to pick up that was written to Terry Muck. The man writes, he says, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along the river and walked all night. But I didn't walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. When the sun finally came up over the river, he came over to me and said, let's go get some breakfast. I go to church now, my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and to be loved like that for the rest of my life. When you love somebody, it never goes unnoticed, especially by God.
when you love God, when you love your neighbor, you are doing something so powerful in this world around us. You are making a difference that in some ways you can't even see or recognize. Don't ever be afraid to love. Love God. Don't ever lose that priority of loving God and loving your neighbor. This morning we take communion. I can't think of a better way to celebrate God's love for us than to take communion with one another. So hopefully if you've got your elements of communion there, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Father, we thank you so very much for the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to go to the cross, that you showed us the ultimate act of love. You even told the apostles earlier, you said, No longer, I call you friends now because a friend lays down his life for the other. And that's what you did for us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you call us friend. And so, Lord, as we take this communion this morning, as we eat this bread, and as we drink this cup, we do this in remembrance of you, of the sacrifice you made on our behalf. We thank you so very much for this opportunity to worship you in this way. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Take and eat. We thank you, Lord, for your blood shed for our sins. As we drink this this morning, we drink it in remembrance of you. Thankful for your sacrifice for us. Take and drink. Blessed be your name, Lord, King of the universe, you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. Lord, as we have heard your word this morning and as we have taken communion this morning, I pray that you would just strengthen and encourage your church. Pray, Lord, that you would fill your people with your spirit, blessing them with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you would just lift up and encourage your people in these days, and help us in all our ways to magnify and glorify your name. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.